Welcome to the Successful Life Podcast, your go-to source for insights and strategies in the HVAC, plumbing, and roofing industries. I'm Corey Barrier, here to guide you through transformative approaches to business and mindset. Each episode will explore unique methods, focusing on identifying and addressing the core challenges in your field. Our goal is to equip you and your team with practical solutions that foster growth and success. So whether you're tuning in for the first time or you're a longtime listener, get ready to dive into a wealth of knowledge and expertise. Let's begin our journey to success together. This is the successful life. It's Corey Barrier. Yeah, come learn with me. Take you down the path of our journeys. This is the successful life. It's time to take what you learn. Apply it to your life. It's your turn. To live a successful life. You are tuning in to the Successful Life Podcast. Three, two, Welcome to the Successful Life Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Barrier, and I'm here with my man, Jonathan Wispin. What? Sorry about that. <laughs> no problem. It's mouthful. Jonathan Wispin. Nice to be the here. The sales boss. I'm so excited to have you. I've been through your book, not once, but almost twice. And man, I really agree with a lot of the stuff that you talk about in the book. So my just favorite, my favorite question, though. I know you're the host, but I got to interrupt. Yeah. When somebody says they read my book, and especially if you've read it twice, what's the one thing you disagreed with? That is a great question. You put me on the spot here. I'm a sales guy. I'm a seasoned sales guy. So it, I don't know that anything didn't make sense. Okay. I don't know that it, uh, it all resonated with me. I've had Sandler training. I've been through. I've read every sales book you could think of. So I, I don't know. I don't know that I disagreed with anything. Or if I did, I'm not. Nothing's sticking out in my head. Yeah, well, great. The reason I like to ask that question is usually it's that one thing somebody disagrees with, but that's where their own belief in head trash exists. And it's usually the area where you can make the most progress. That makes sense. Yeah. So, yeah, nothing resonated. Nothing sticks out. Yeah, great. Yeah, I thought it was great. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. So, Jonathan, what the book came out not that long ago, right? It's actually been out five years now. So we it's been out there changing companies for being battle tested the last five years. So what made you write the book? What was the reason that you wanted to write the book? And I'm just gonna I have a I have I'm an author, I have a book. Well, I I'll, I'll let you answer the question opposed to me jumping in. I, I had been doing consulting and I got into consulting by mistake. I think like most people do. I'd had some business success and people asked me, Hey, what do you think of my business, what would you do? And I was always, uh, one, humbled by that question, but second, afraid of the question, because these were people that I already thought of as really successful. So my stock answer was, Corey, I don't know, it sounds like you're really doing all right already. But if you let me bang around, I'll bring a few ideas to the table and they'll just be ideas. It's just based on my experience and thought and Based on doing that and then getting success with people and really doubling revenue in a lot of companies, then I that sort of became the thing I started doing. And I realized as I worked through many of those companies that one of the prime areas they lacked in was what I call a sales boss. And I use sales boss to refer to a sales leader that is operating at the top 1% of their industry. So that might be the owner. It might be a position in the company. 
But if you have a sales boss, some, somebody that gets all of those pieces, it fixes every other part of the business, but it's hard to get right unless you design it. So I wanted to write the book from, from that standpoint. And I had worked with a lot of salespeople that I was doing some sales coaching with who then went into sales leadership positions and then went on to be CEOs of companies. And I thought it would be helpful for uh, when, the, when those salespeople are switching roles or they're a sales leader and they switch companies, how do you get started in a company that needs help without totally destroying the culture that's there, but leaving your impact? And, and you, the minute you start a job as a sales leader in an organization, the clock starts ticking. You maybe have 90 days where you know, you're walk on water and then outside of that time, it's okay, you're one of the crew. And then if you haven't really had an impact at month eight, it's already like you've lost your polish. But you also can't move so fast that you destroy, the, they still have a business to do. And so you can't change everything. So that was why I started writing the book and just putting my ideas down. And then by accident, I was at a conference learning and I was sitting at a table with one of the agents from Wiley. And I also happened to have one of my clients there. And so we started talking and the agent from Wiley was there and uh, you know, we were having drinks and just everybody makes promises over a beer. So they were like, oh yeah, we should get a, we should get a book thing going. And so I followed up with the agent afterwards. And, well, sales leadership books, sales management books are really tough. Like we'll try to do something, but it could be years before we get something done. Can you send me your manuscript? I didn't have a manuscript at that point. I had, I think, five or six chapters at early stage. So I sent him that. And he came back two weeks later. He's, I'm going to pitch this. to. I guess you have these the agents and they go into an executive meeting and pitch which books they're going to do in the next quarter. Then he came out of that and said, Let's do it. So that's really cool. That that was sort of the path that made me go, okay, I guess I got to get this thing done. Yeah. So you mentioned culture. Let's talk about that for a second. You mentioned a couple of things I want to dive into. So a lot of home services industry, plumbers, HVAC, the industry that I serve in. And what I find lots of times is one of the most frustrating things, probably one of the most frustrating things is your best technician. They move the best technician into the sales manager role or the service manager role. It's all the sales at the end of the day. That person doesn't always do the best in that role. It's like taking your top guy that's crushing it for you and taking him completely out of his element and having managing people. I, How do you help a company? How do you help a company that's made that decision and that guy is their right-hand man? They believe everything he says for whatever reason. How do you handle that? Well, there's a lot of things to unpack there, but you're exactly right. I can tell you have have had experience. That's almost always the case, right? Because especially in a smaller business, that person that's producing consistently for you is a savior, right? You, You feel like you owe a lot of your company to them. But it's almost a fatal mistake if you promote them into a leadership role and they're not the right person for it. Because human nature being what it is, most people can't step backwards. So they can't go, I really, I'm not a great sales leader. Let me go back to being your best technician. It's really rare. So usually what happens is one of two things. One is you both tolerate each other being a subpar leader just out of respect for your history and the time you've had together and your loyalty. 
or you put pressure on them, they're not going to necessarily improve and they're going to resent it and they're going to leave and then they're going to be the best technician for your competitor. And so I think, and I write about this in my book, when you're looking at a leadership role, especially if you're promoting from within, um, I have six things that I look at and they have to check the box at the very top of that list. So the, the very first one uh, is that, it, 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 that if they've been in sales, they're usually not the top performer. And the reason is if you're a top performer, usually, and, and, and I put that in context of if you're on a team where there's a lot of top performers, if, 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 if you're the top performer in a group of top performers, that usually means you have sort of natural ability and there are people like that that just naturally take to sales. They're gifted at it. Like you could drop them in anywhere with almost any company, and they're going to make rainbows and sunshine and make it rain. The problem with that person, when you put them in a leadership role, is they want to lead the same way they wanted to be led. And what did they want you to do as a leader with them? Stay out of my way. That's right. Let me work my magic. And I'm probably not going to fill out all the paperwork either. And it's because, <laughs> right? it's because they're good at it. The problem when you put them in a leadership role is that's how they lead their team. And 90% of people that they're going to get on their sales team can't operate that way. So if you have somebody who has been a, a good performer, certainly at the top of the sales team, but not the very top, Usually that's a person that has some skill, right? Natural, innate talent, but they also realize they had a lot to learn. And so they listened to podcasts, they took coaching. When they went to class, they practiced and they had to learn and put structure. And because they had to do that and they saw value in it, you put them in a leadership role and how do they lead? The same way they wanted to be led. They wanted that's somebody true. that challenge them. And so that that's the first thing. But if you're an owner of a company, what does it take to be great if I'm going to put somebody in this role? And do you want to go through the other couple of them? or Sure. So the next one is, and this won't surprise you, they have to have a very high level of emotional intelligence, oh, Yeah. which means they have the ability to regulate their own emotional state up or down and to identify it and label it accurately. And secondly, they have to be able to accurately label the emotional state of somebody else and move them up or down. If That's they right. don't have a high EQ, emotional intelligence, then they're not going to do well in the role. The third thing is that it's somebody that doesn't need the credit, that you never find them feeding their own ego. And the fourth thing is they have a balanced analytical mind. Meaning that they are somebody that loves data, knows their numbers, understands the guts of what makes the sales organization and the install organization run. They've got a grasp of the financial metrics of it. And the reason I say a balanced analytical mind is they're not all, they're not a complete data head. They're not the guy sitting in the CFO's office. They, they know their numbers enough, and it's important to them to use data, but they also have the human element and say, well, the data says this, but we're also dealing with humans. And, and so they have that ability to blend. And there's two more, and you think I would remember these from my book. <laughs> the, 
The sixth one is they inspire loyalty and they can hold the attention of a room. You have to put them in a position, and it doesn't mean they have to be super outgoing, but when you have them in a company meeting and they stand up and they speak, they have to be able to command the attention of the room. Right. And people have to feel loyal to them. And then I think the, la the last one, number six, which I think is one of the most important, but it's relying upon all the others. And, and this is uh, one you have to get exactly right, is they're comfortable sitting in judgment. Mm. I want to, I'm saying that way for a very specific reason. They're comfortable sitting in judgment. It doesn't mean they want to sit in judgment, that they like to sit in judgment, that they need to sit in judgment. They're just comfortable with it. Because at the end of the day, if you're a leader, you have to have a standard and you have to be able to compare somebody's performance to that standard and you have to sit in judgment. You may not always be right, but it's your point of view and it's your obligation to be comfortable enough doing it that you don't avoid having that conversation. And so if I'm running an organization, I'm literally going down that checklist. If I'm saying, hey, Corey's my best technician, I can see some leadership ability, should I put them in the role? I'm literally going to go down and say, what if I was in a if I was in a courtroom and I was on trial and I had to give evidence that Corey had these things, these six things, what evidence would I predict produce? So number four, they have a balanced analytical mind. What evidence do I have of that? And it, you should be able to find evidence. If you can't, I would suggest they're not the right person for the role or your company is broken and you need to figure out your own metrics. Yeah, it makes sense. I know, I know that's going on and on. No, that, that, that's great, though. Look, you're a perfect person to ask this. You, you have done a further deep dive into human analytics, how humans work. From a, at a level that most people have not through AI and through really at, at this stage of the game, my opinion is with AI, you really can, can, can have a better result than with humans because there's not much margin for error. So before I get too off the beaten path, all right. So I do want to ask you about this. So Slack, you mentioned turning your Slack off earlier. I use Slack as well. So what is your what are your thoughts on if an organization of 800 people let's say they all use slack to communicate internally what are your thoughts on being able and I know that this can you can do this I don't know I'm sure you could do this but I know this can be done as you could through either sentiment analysis or some other analysis, you could predict quiet quitters based on their conversations within the company messaging app. Does that did that question make sense? In other words, completely makes sense. Um, okay. Yeah, completely makes sense. In fact, there are entire product lines built around this. And there's always two sides of the equation. Yes. What can we do and what should we do? Fair. So let's assume that you should do this. And that's open to debate whether somebody should or shouldn't do it. But there's entire uh, industries around this. As an example, one of my clients was a large uh, legal discovery firm. So when, when court battles coming on for, for one of the sets of attorneys, they're gathering all of the documents, all of the emails, 
And they're feeding this all into an algorithm that helps them find patterns in the data. And one of the models that that organization uses is to be able to develop a map of influence within the organization. So by mapping all of the emails, the Slack communications, what meetings people are at with who, what time do they check out of the building, they're able to develop a pretty accurate map to say these three people are involved in this activity together. And when an idea starts within an organization, it usually starts here and then it spreads like wildfire this direction or that. I'm reminded that I had a, a, a mentor one time and I was I overheard something somebody had said about me and they said, it's not really your right to know other people's opinion of you. So true. And neither do you want to necessarily know. And, and that, so that sort of sticks with me. And when I think about technology like that, there is a certain amount of healthy stuff that happens in an organization and you're not going to ring it out through technology. Like some people are going to vent, some people are going to be so I tend not to think of AI being used for that. However, like in our platform for uh, perception, we're building models for pre-hire, like uh, predicting actual job performance. So we can predict the dollar revenue a salesperson is going to produce. We get within 15 to 20% of that. We can predict likely tenure and a lot of data supporting those models. I, I do think it's appropriate the use on the front end because one, I'm not using their what they would consider private communications. If somebody's right. on Slack, even though it's a company channel, they're really in their mind thinking of it as a private For sure. channel. What our data is doing on the front end is simply saying people that fit this psychographic profile in your organization tend to operate at this level and they tend to stay this long. And I think that's really helpful in terms of uh, building a great high-performing organization, but also making sure the, I, I come from the belief set that when we bring somebody into our organization, it's not really okay that they churn out quickly because right. we've hurt that individual. We've hurt their family. We've hurt their ability to provide. On some level, you've impacted their psyche, right? They, right. they lost on a job that they were excited about. So I think we have to get it right. And we're actually doing somebody a favor to say, you're not going to you're not going to thrive in this role. This episode of the Successful Life podcast is brought to you by House Call Pro. Whether you're looking to streamline your operations, reduce paperwork, or boost revenue, House Call Pro is your all-in-one business solution. Transform your business today with essential tools and support designed to drive efficiency and deliver exceptional customer service. To learn more, click the link in the show notes. Well, look, it also gives you the ability, kind of on the, maybe not on the other side of the coin, but it also gives you the ability to market to your ideal customer, so to speak. Yeah, that's exactly right. When you know who it is you're going after, what, what I find fascinating is the patterns that emerge from data. And AI is a cool thing to attach to everything nowadays. Uh, and, and, and perception has been doing this for a long time. It's I think it's important to realize that AI, to a large degree, is just advanced mathematics and computing power catching up to the ability to do those in very complex ways. As an example, most people don't realize that there is not a computer on the planet today 
that can map one molecule of your cup of coffee. And that seems really basic. Like we drink coffee every day, but the largest supercomputer cannot model a caffeine molecule. Interesting. And which seems so basic. It's not that we don't know how to map it. We just don't have the computed power to do it. You would literally have to put the world's biggest supercomputer on that problem for over 300 years to be able to map that. So what is happening uh, behind the scenes is we're getting greater and greater computing power and power, and we're also getting better and better methods of computing. So we're shortening the workload on computers. So you're getting things like quantum computing coming on the scene. You may remember last year, actually it was the year before with, with Google's quantum computer, they solved a problem in three minutes that it would have taken the world's largest supercomputer a hundred years to, to solve. I didn't know that. Yeah, but and most people don't because it's just out in academia, right? Why is that important? Well, when we advance AI, and let's call it that AI, but it's math and computing power combined in pattern recognition. When we can do that, all of a sudden, you think about when people building airplanes, aircraft. Used to be they build a plane, very expensive to do. They put it in a giant wind tunnel and they blow wind at it and see if it fell apart. That's the best they had. There's they, nobody does that nowadays. It's right. all modeled in a computer because we have computers that are capable of doing the algorithm that predicts how is the wind flow going to go over the wings? What's the stress going to be like? Eventually, computers are going to get to the place where we can, inside the computer, map every molecule known to man. And that completely changes things. If there's a disease state today, what do you do? We Now, finally, we've mapped the genome, right? We've got DNA sequencing. But we really, the, the they're really going in and saying the solution set for this disease is, exists somewhere between here and here. But we only have so much time and money. So let's cut a slice out of here and let's go to a wet lab and create that in a Petri dish and grow it. And let's put it in a drug trial. That didn't work. Okay, but this one worked the best. So now we know it's in this zip code and let's slice and dice and go. And that's a very long process. Imagine being able to just map all the possible solutions and say, this is the right solution. And the very first time we formulate it, we get it right. There's that's the way it is with aircraft now. They design in a computer, the very first edition they put out usually flies. And drugs are going to get that way. That was exactly about literally, I was getting ready to ask you. So it seems like it could solve a lot of problems that could put a lot of pharmaceutical companies out of business. Yeah, or drastically reduce the cost of them. And that, that that's really where we're at as a society. And I think Chat GPT is sort of normalizing that language for the everyday human. But this conversation has been going on for multiple decades about this point in time of when computing power and our knowledge matches up. Yeah. And, 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 it, and it will in many ways break the common ways we think about our agreements as a society, what we do for work, how we go about that work, um, how we age, how we think about aging. So if you follow genomic research, research at, uh, at at any level, the when the human genome was finally mapped, 100%. Now we have genomic medicine, which is completely different than the way we think about medicine today. Genomic medicine doesn't mean we make you know our eyesight better 
or an ailing condition better. It means we literally fix it. So going through the FDA now are already approved uh, approved therapies. Uh, one of them that was recently approved is for a very specialized subset of blindness, but in 100% of the cases, it fixes it. It doesn't make it less, it just fixes it. It's at the genomic level. We're gonna get that way where you have an issue with a knee, you have an issue with a heart where you, at the genome level, we're actually able to fix it. We're able to 3D print bioidentical tissue. That's what is coming to our planet. And you can freak out about it because you shouldn't write an article using ChatGBT. We have bigger problems than that. Right. And we have bigger opportunities than that. I know that wasn't the, the, the topic of this podcast, but I think when, when I get to talk to somebody like yourself that's open to a discussion of AI, like we really should be thinking way bigger and what's going to get in the way of that is fear and uncertainty and the way we want our life to be today. I'm getting to see it just in the hiring. And that's like probably as important as it is to a business to get their hiring. I think it's vastly important to do that because the quality of your business is the people. Right. But if you can't use the latest technology to hire people, how are you going to cope when the other areas of your, because that's like just table stakes. Like I, I really think there's going to be a point in time within the next couple of years where nobody would even consider hiring somebody without predictive technology. You have, you go back to the world of medicine. If you have an AI that can draw upon every example of cancer that's ever existed and the treatment and the outcome, and can take some sort of cell from you and say, oh, you have this same cancer that three other people in history have had, and here's the thing that fixes it. You're going to love AI, but for the doctor, I think it's actually going to be malpractice not to use the AI. I can see that. Do you want some doctor operating on you that went to med school how many years ago and maybe goes to a couple of conferences if they're really leading edge? We're just, as humans, we're not capable of, A, taking in all that information, but B, even identifying the pattern. So I don't think AI replaces humans. I think AI enables humans to do their job on a level that wasn't possible. And I find that super exciting. Me too. I too, yeah, I, I find it super exciting. Well, I'll tell you what kind of got me into this in really looking into AI was just, it, it to me, it's one of the most fascinating things in the world. And I met with this guy, and I'm not going to say his name, and I'm not going to say his company, but basically, call like you and I are having here, it, after the call's over, it analyzes the call, tells you the emotion on the call, very similar to what we were talking about in Fireflies or one of the note takers. And, and it would go along the line and, and, and give emojis as to how the call went. Well, I just, I thought that was the most fascinating thing I've ever seen. And so... I had done, I started doing some work with this guy. Well, he wound up stabbing me in the back. So it doesn't really matter in to each his own, but I wasn't really getting answers from him. So I just went and figured it out myself. And I think that in terms of salespeople, in terms of Zoom calls, in terms of being able to, I, I built, so I got to the MVP stage of, a call center AI. My goal with that was the first layer was just to be able to tell you how the call went at the end of the call through emojis, right? Not for you that that makes sense. And, and that's, you know, not groundbreaking, 
The next level to that is to be able to take. So far as to say that's already old technology, and for most of listeners, they might go, "Wow, really? You can do that?" Oh yeah, I just listened to a podcast today. Yeah, listen to a podcast. They're like, "Oh yeah, we're working on that." I'm like, "I've had this MVP built six months ago. I'm not a software guy. I'm a sales guy." So I didn't realize what I was in involved with software until I got to that point and then fell flat. But what I had planned to do is to take customer data and you could train the model on the customers calling in the CSRs, the customer service rep, uh, in 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 predict predict what they're going to predict what the next customer is going to say and really have that CSR just they wouldn't even really have to think that that hard because the information would pop up right it would just pop up on the screen and and, and it wouldn't shock me in the least if that's already available it is already available and um it's already outdated so i was on a call the other day for 10 minutes mm-hmm. talking to a human with a pretty complex problem and it wasn't until I was 10 minutes in that I realized I wasn't talking to a human. And I'm pretty forward. It was really good. So I investigated the technology and figured out what's the underlying technology. I built a uh, plugin for our hiring software, which I haven't released this plugin yet. But you, it can do a pre-call, Corey, say, hey, Corey, how's the day going? I understand you're having an upcoming interview. You would be really hard-pressed to tell you're not talking to a human. And it, it, it will respond to your questions. If you ask, what's the pay rate? Do you work mornings, afternoon? It can answer all of that. It, and it, it feels human. And the interesting part of that is you think about CSR agents and that sort of thing, that job is going to go away for sure. And for I, sure. I, I would say it's probably less than five years yeah. before, before that. Bec- and the reason is, I was able to deploy this model and my pricing model is less than $4 for every minute that it's speaking. The human, as a business owner, and you're going to get it right every single time. I I tested this model and you got to do thousands of iterations around the thing. Yes. I'm going through the model and so they're interviewing me. I think I was doing it for a cleaning job. So I'm just playing along, right? Doing answering the questions. You got to try to throw the edge cases at it. And it asked me the question: We have multiple shifts available. Would you like a morning shift or an afternoon shift? And I said, Well, I prefer an afternoon shift because I like to get my kids off to school in the morning. So I get all the way to the end of the call. It offers me. It says, I think we should have you in for an interview. I have a spot available at nine or at eleven on this day. It schedules all of it. Says. I'm going to text you the thing. So it texts you the appointment link automatically. But what got me was when it signed off because it's not programmed in this way. It it has boundaries of what it can do and can't do. When it gets to the end of the call, it says, hey, Jonathan, look forward to having you into the office, meeting our hiring manager. Give your kids a high five on the way off to school this morning. Just boom. My it's voice, mom, right? We're talking about voice, a, just voice, right? It's just voice. Yeah. And it's completely automated. There are, there are so many scenarios where this is going to be useful. You think about if you're a contractor and you're offering, let's say you're offering financing. And right. so you go in and you do a project and maybe you put in a new garage door, whatever you're doing. I don't know what, the, what your audience business is. And then after the whole job's done, the AI call sounds completely human, says, hey, Corey, 
our tech was out there. I understand we put in a new garage door for you. We did X, Y, Z, and it's listening, right? Can tell the sentiment. And then it says, you you financed the door with us. Congratulations, by the way, using our money with the rates we were able to give you. That was the smart choice. You spend $11,000 of that. It turns out that we qualified you for 25. Would you like me to close out that credit request? Or would you be open to considering cabinets and new garage door flooring? And based on that conversation, let me text you over a couple of pictures. When our garage door tech was out there, they took a picture of the garage and we've overlaid that with some things that we feel like you could do for the difference between 11 and 25. That possibility is possible today with the existing infrastructure plugged in correctly today, already available. People can feel free to reach out to me if they want like tips on how to, where to look for that sort of thing. But that's already happening. If you're, if you're a contractor and you're thinking about, I'm going to do business the way I've always done it. And, and I got to keep going back to hiring, right? Because yeah, that's how I make my that, that, that's how I make my living and build my company. Hiring is one place where people matter. But even on the other side of it, where you're where you're not using people, you should be using technology to improve that. I cannot even imagine a roofer today getting up on a roofer and saying, yeah, God damn it, I'm not giving up my hammer and my nail. I'm really fast at that. Even if they were the best at it, like the guy's going to show up with a pneumatic hammer and just blow past his production level. Right. So you might be the best in your business today doing it the way you do it, but you are going to get left behind by people that use technology and understand technology and more importantly, craft technology. AI for hiring isn't perfect today, but it's 90% better than what you're doing today and there yeah. will be a day when it's perfect so like you think about that voice call i'm getting 10 minutes in before i realize it's off three months ago that wasn't possible like every single customer service thing you got that was automated it's like a robot can't understand right. you find like give me a human give me a human i got off that call and i at first i was annoyed i was like they tricked me and then it wasn't like two seconds later i was like wait a minute that was the best customer service call i've ever had it was intelligent. It was smart. It helped me figure it out. I could understand the language they were speaking. I was like, sign me up every day. I would take that experience over any other. And most people would, right? And that's going to take the place of texting and thumbs that most people are used to now. So I had a sim. I had a. I. I. I was in. A, I'm in a beta with one of those companies. Yep. And when I was talking to him, exactly what you were thinking, my my goal in, in in having these conversations with the people that I the people that I was talking to was that okay, so there's so imagine that you, you mentioned roofing. Ironically, we built a roofing AI, which we can get into that, but imagine when a storm hits and imagine being able to deploy that voice. Every single person in that neighbor in that area that got hit, you will smash the rest of the market. Well, and especially if you can do it in a way that sounds human, yeah, can answer their questions, and you can do a hundred percent of the homes in that area at the same moment. Yeah, five minutes after the storm hits, you've called a hundred percent of the homes. Hundred percent. Yeah, you, you can't build a sales team to let you do that. No, sir. It's just, sure it's just fascinating. I was at dinner last night with somebody whose father's aging and he's a veteran, so he uses the VA. 
And he said, I never realized him helping my dad. There's eight apps for the VA. And he's like, nobody sits down and tells you which app you need to do which sort of thing. And it's just a mess. And I just was like, imagine how AI is going to change that. If you could just call in and you're talking to a well-trained AI that they don't care if they spend an hour with you, working you through everything, helping you understand it, texting you the examples. That's where I think access to care is so much improved. In, yes, when I talk about this, almost always I'll, I'll, I'll get a, an angry crowd of people saying, you're taking people's jobs. Yep, for sure. And it's going to happen. And we're also going to save a lot of lives because we can finally understand disease states and we can at scale. When people start, first started doing online video, dating myself, when you start doing online video, the biggest segment for that in improving it was online porn. Good point. And now that was its foothold. And now you, we use it for everything, advertising, for spread of knowledge, spread of ideas. Like it, it doesn't matter what technology you start with. Yeah, there's the like edge cases of doing replacing a customer success person and whatever. Well, what you really should be interested in is the it's the usage of that technology that does amazing things. You look at wars that happen on the planet. Some of the biggest advancements in technology, medicine, et cetera, have come from times of war, not advocating for war. Sure. But using that as an example to say, this is how technology goes and progresses. So you utilize the technology, get familiar with the technology. And, and I would say, second, we really, in almost every period of history, when technology has advanced, it's created new and better, higher level jobs. I do think we're getting close to a point where that is no longer true, where the technology actually replaces a job that doesn't create another job. As an example, already, if you're a coder in Silicon Valley doing coding, about 80% of the code that's being written is being utilized through something like CodePilot, where it's already pre-written for you. You're just describing what you want and the code is written. Right. right? You have to test it, you have to massage it, but that's V1. There's going to be a time when we deploy technology, the, the reason it created better jobs is you, you needed programming engineers to fix the bugs and update the code and update the plugins. Well, we're getting really close to where the AI can write its own code, upgrade its own code, upgrade its own plugin, rewrite new plugins, identify limitations, describe to itself what it wants and write it, write it itself. So now you have, you, you have computerized systems that really can self-sustain. You also then have robotic, you look at some of the robotics that are happening, you're gonna have robots who can now repair themselves because they can update their code, right? And the raw materials that go into building that robot are planted, harvested, extracted from the earth by a robot that is self-healing, self-healing. So you really, at some point, don't you're not creating a net new job. Right. And the only reason I say that is, and I find that fascinating, is that as a society, we're not ready for it. Right at the time period where we're going to unlock human lifespan, we're also going to be in a position where there isn't enough jobs in the traditional sense of what working has meant. 
And I don't think we're ready for that as a society to say we place value on a human life because it's a human life, not because of what they do for a living. That's a tough concept, isn't it? It is, right? Because it's so inbred in us. Like you meet somebody you're like, hey, what do you do for a living? And right. that's how we interact and that's our identity. And the problem is you get people in these political arguments where they're like, well, I don't want universal basic income and I don't want people to have a job and I don't think we should give health. And there's this argument. And yes, there's some truth to all of it. But we're pretty much going to be at a point as a society where we either answer those questions in a smart, intelligent way, or we have chaos for a period of time while we figure it out. And there will be some big losers in that. That's the concern with when you think about, and I'm not opposed to massive wealth and Elon Musk's of the world. Sure. But when that sort of wealth gets concentrated and the ownership of the software, and like ChatGPT is owned by a corporation, right? And so that, that benefit to society is going to continue to isolate to a narrow subset. The biggest satellite system in the world used by most of the militaries on the planet are owned by a private individual. That makes sense. Yeah. And that's a weird thought. It used to always be a nation. That's what we thought anyway. Well, it, it has always been that way. Okay. The last five years. Oh, wow. Okay. And now the satellite network is owned by Elon Musk. I'm not saying it's a good or bad thing, but it has fundamentally changed the power dynamics on the planet. If Elon decides I'm shutting off the satellite access to Ukraine, guess what? That changes the outcome of a war. It used to be nations made those decisions and plays, and that is more and more falling to individuals who don't necessarily have oversight, right? And and control and might have a bad day. <laughs> not that the government's don't. I just think I'm not coming down on either side of that issue. I'm sure. just saying if we can't have a realistic conversation about the impact those sorts of changes are having on society, I think we're at a disadvantage. It's a little scary to think about how many people wouldn't even be able to understand what you're saying, to understand the impact this could have on in our lifetime, for sure. Um, we'll have it in our lifetime. The, 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 the real challenge is that people are working so hard to feed their families and to make a living and to deal with their own problems. It's very difficult to lift your head up and go, okay, what else is going on? And probably for things that they feel like they don't have much control over. I'm the same way. Like I, I think about political things. I'm like, yeah. I, I don't know, but I'm probably not going to fix that. Yeah. But unless we do, and, I, and then that's where I think some of the think tanks that happen around where you get really smart people together, that there's, you talk about auto, auto self-driving cars, AI, right? There's all these think tanks that have been happening for years about how does the insurance company change now when a car gets in an accident, who's actually responsible? Is it the software writer? Is it the hardware of the car? Is it the owner of the car? Is it the passengers that are in the car? It's going to completely remake the insurance industry. And guess what? I went to an industry conference on that seven years ago. But people are just now really starting to think, but there are there, there are portions of our society that are structured around helping us think through these problems. Or and there's no problems, but they're just things that need to be thought through. 
Sure. And there's really not, depending on where you fall in that spectrum, it is going to be a small amount of people, one, that that win at this, I think. Because right. you're winning like if winning is being at the top controlling the technology having the wealth i 100 agree to you but i think yeah. humans as a whole stand to win when we do it right agreed provided it gets in the right hands yeah even if that the the very high end of that value ends up with a, a, a stratified layer of, of humans i don't it, it's interesting the way we think about success i was having a conversation with somebody this morning uh, and we were talking about uh, a, a documentary I'd watched on the life of Bill Gates. Okay. He's done amazing things. I and mean, even after he got out of Microsoft, he's gone on to do the Bill, Bill Gates Foundation. They're doing solving disease eradication in countries and medicine. Yeah, he's had a huge impact on the planet. But when you when they do a, a retrospective on their life, they say, oh, well, he was a disengaged father. He didn't spend time with his kids. There's a negative thing around him as a father, which is an interesting thing. He could have been a great father and not done all of the other things he's done. Would have had a way worse impact on society, right? In terms yeah. of disease states and all that. And he's granted his kids the ability to have access to anything they want but the price for that was I didn't sit down and have dinner with my kids i didn't go to their games and as a society we would if we were just judging our neighbor or you or i we'd say well that's terrible you never sit down with your kids you're you're a workaholic but the net benefit of it to society was great so it, it just reinforced that we should never be judging other people because we don't know what their what impact they're going to have on society and it is a choice for every human to make where do they want to engage and what impact do they want to have for some, somebody it might be look i want to be here with my kids every day that's my thing i don't care if i accomplish anything else and somebody else might say i want to create enough wealth that my kids can not have to worry about themselves financially they can chase the dreams they want to have like that's a that's a balance people are trying to find, right? And who are we to judge? We're not. We're not because Elon Musk is another good example. Where would we be without that guy? Where would we be with that without the decisions that he's made to not be with his family or his twenty five kids? Or I'm really grateful that he's not a great father. You yeah. know what I mean? And I don't look at him as a bad father. I just look at him as some people have the ability to see past where it's actually you, just a different definition of what a great father is. Absolutely. Right? You, it is. Back, and when I work and I work with a lot of really high performing executives that have built amazing companies and I love it when they find that balance with family and everything else. And family is really high on my list of priorities. So, but the dysfunction that a high performing leader has is almost in equal measure to the genius they have. Yeah. And they, they excel in this one area or a handful of areas of their life. And it's almost like the other side suffer. It's almost like somebody that's autistic and is really gifted at music and math, but they can't sit down and have a conversation or tell you how they're feeling. There's no balance. Like, yeah, there's, there's a balance of that. And I think it's finding the beauty in all of those kinds of people. Can we find as much beauty in their dysfunction as we find in their genius? That's a group. That's. Yeah, a hundred percent. I yeah, I totally 
Yeah, I totally agree with you. And really, it's, I was listening to The Four Agreements the other day. Fascinating book. Love that book. And they were talking about assumptions. If I'm if I make an assumption about you, really, that's just me projecting what I'm thinking about me onto you. And I'm yeah. like, that is so true. In my book, I, I use a phrase that is, I believe you believe that, which can sound really sarcastic. Not at all. But what I mean by that is if we can get up close and personal to the people in our company and authentically believe, hey, if I grew up the way Corey grew up, experienced what he did, I probably would see this thing exactly how he does. And I would feel the same way and respond to it this, the same way. If I can do that, all of a sudden there's zero judgment for me saying Corey's coming up short. And it's only in that moment that I'm actually able to discover how I might be able to, to propose to Corey that there's another option. Like I can't, help, I can't help Corey change, but I, I can maybe widen the perspective. And, and that's how we have to be with people in our organizations is accept that what they're giving you today is 100% of what they're capable of, or they have a valid reason, they believe, for not doing so doesn't mean that it is you know, universally valid, but to them, it is 100% valid. And if I can believe, hey, if I was Corey doing that job for me today and I grew up experiencing what he did and reading the books he did, and that I would probably feel about me the same way Corey's feeling about me right now. I'm not going to take offense to it. I don't have to feel like I need to force my will. That's a really deep definition of empathy. That's it. And that, that's just where I go to like emotional IQ is being able to accurately identify the emotion in yourself, but also in another person and regulate that up or down. And the very deepest layer of that comes from the old cliche, walk a mile in somebody else's shoes, uh, universally true. But I would just take it even deeper than that to you have beliefs, I have beliefs, everyone has beliefs that we don't even identify as a belief. We identify it as truth. It doesn't even occur to us that it is a belief that we hold because we were surrounded by that viewpoint or that understanding of the world. And you get people that are really religious, Christian, Muslim, otherwise, and they're so set on it and they've never actually really studied anything else. Right. But they're so convinced. It's because they were surrounded by it. They grew up in a Christian country, surrounded by a Christian family, going to a certain church. And I can say that because I grew up in, in a cult environment, and I was right there. And people would say, Jonathan, you're brainwashed. And I would scoff at them. I've got the cleanest brain around. You're like It's the rest of you people that are, right? And now yeah. I'm 20, gosh, no, I used to say 20, 25 years past that. And I can't even... I can't even imagine that I used to believe that way. Like I find it's so far opposite the way I think about things and experience things now. But in that moment, it was true. It wasn't a belief. It was truth to me. Yeah. And everybody has that. What are we identifying in ourselves as truth? That's actually belief. And if we can crack that open, that's a pretty vulnerable place to be. Well, look, we'll take something really simple. Look at the, the political climate. You can talk to 10 people and five of them may be on one side and five on the other, and they 100% believe in the reasons why they're 
right to be on. We saw it back in 2020. Yeah, we, we loop that back to AI and imagine the conversational AI that I described earlier calling for financing another job interview. Imagine being able to have 2 million simultaneous phone calls going out to people with false information, oh. auto-generating videos that look real. There, I was really diving deep into the subject of deep fake videos. Yes. And we grew up in a period of time, and I'll just lump you into that. I hope I'm not too far off. <laughs> you look really young and healthy. So, but the, I know you worked at it. You, it used to be like you would see a picture and people go, oh, that's photoshopped. And they could like digitally look at it and have proof that it was photoshopped. We're getting really close to the point where we can create a deep fake video of anyone saying and doing anything it sounds like them it looks like it them and worse there's no digital evidence that can be uncovered that it's not real and that's the and if you google deep fake videos sure. and really dive deep on that subject we're either there now or we're within months of it last time i looked uh, and so there's these whole committees meeting to say how can we put markers inside of digitally created content that people don't know about so that we have something to rely upon to say this did or did not happen. NFTs. Imagine putting out at scale. I, I don't even care if you, even if intellectually you look at that video, it looks real and you go, I know X person didn't do this. The fact that you've seen it is really right. hard to erase from your psyche, even if you tell yourself it's untrue. And you bombarded with that, you could influence entire ways of thinking. That's what advertisement does now. Yeah. Most people aren't aware that back, back when laser printers got started with printing really high fidelity prints, and then people used it to print money and have fake money. The way they solved that is there was actually laws passed for the manufacturers of those printers to put patterns it's so fine in the print that nobody could see it unless they unless they had the key to look at it. And then right. they could say, this fake money, counterfeit money, was printed on this sort of printer that was sold in this region of the country. Now they could narrow the search. And we're repeating that now when we think about deep fake videos. It's really like, how do, how do we find a way to find the person that's going to mis misuse the technology? And there's always going to be bad players. When, once Pandora's box is open and the capability exists to do it, somebody's going to do it. And that's where a good social debate around what's the right or wrong use of technology. I, I, I found it hilarious that so many people in our country were shocked that our government was listening in on everybody and connecting vast amount of data. Duh. What else do you think they would be doing? Right. Whether it's right or wrong, that's a very valid debate. However, that's that sort of thing is and will continue to happen. Oh, absolutely. We covered a lot of ground. Yeah, we did. Related to <laughs> we really we did. We really <laughs> did. We went a little bit all over the place, but I'm used to that. This was, dude, this was such a great conversation. Like, I... If nobody else got anything out of it, I thoroughly enjoyed it. <laughs> Likewise, I enjoyed chatting with you. So we got our needs met. And at the end of the day, yeah. 
That's right. <laughs> so Jonathan, where can people find you? Can you give some of that information out? And then, yeah. Yeah, my name is John with the J-O-N. So like John at the sales boss will get me. John at whohire.com will get me. An online message to Corey will get me. You can Google me. You'll find me. Fantastic. Well, I appreciate it, my friend. And I uh, really enjoyed the conversation. Likewise. Good to chat. You too. Thank you for tuning into the Successful Life Podcast. We hope today's insights have ignited your passion and provided tools to shape your leadership journey. Remember, greatness is a journey, not a destination. Continue your pursuit by exploring more resources and insights over at CoreyBarrier.com. Until next time, keep leading, keep learning, and keep striving for excellence. Stay inspired and see you on the next episode.